Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study of the book of Hebrews. When you read through the book of Hebrews, you will see time and time again that Jesus is greater than everyone and everything that ever was, is, or will be. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. We want to welcome you, those who are in the house with us, as well as those of you who are online. We're glad you're here, and we're in the middle of this series from the book of Hebrews. Now, for over a week and a half, uh, the world's attention has been focused on the people of Ukraine as they face an invasion from Russian forces to their country. And, and unlike any invasion in history, if you, you so desire, you can get updates almost in real time thanks to reporters there on the ground as well as to social media. And around the world, we know there's an outcry against the war as followers of Jesus are praying for an end to this senseless aggression and this loss of life. Christians in Ukraine and around the world are praying that Jesus our Prince of Peace will intervene and, and end this war. I was reading an article this week from pastors from both Ukraine and Russia as, as they had been interviewed and were talking to the writers at Christianity Today and, and they were talking about what they were doing. And so I'll share with you a, a couple of things. We learned that pastors and their congregations in both Ukraine and in Russia spent last Sunday's services they were caring for people, they were praying with people, and they were preaching messages of hope and trust in the name of the Lord. Pastor Vitam Kulchekno from Ukraine said this, he said, the, the whole church prayed on their knees for our president, for our country, and for peace. And he said, after the service, uh, we went in and did first aid training with our people. Uh, a pastor in Russia wrote this, there is only one source of comfort in all of this for me. Christ is on the throne. God the Father holds everything in his hands and the Holy Spirit fills our, the hearts of those who trust in him and nothing can overcome his might. God does the greatest works of redemption when everything seems hopeless. And so I pray for peace. And then back in Ukraine, uh, on his blog, one pastor wrote about his day and what the church was doing. He said, uh, we were praying and we were acting. They had actually gone out and bought 3,000 pounds of flour to bake bread for refugees. And they prayed and invited others to pray with them and help. So with that in mind, let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, Prince of Peace, Lord, we, we pray for peace in Ukraine. We pray for peace around the world, Lord. We, we know there are other conflicts going on. And when we pray that, Lord, whether they're one-on-one -on -one or whether they're between communities or nations, and Lord, we, we pray that we would turn to you, our hope, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, now, I shared this this morning uh, about what's happening amongst those Christians in both Ukraine and Russia because I wanted us to see and hear in, in their own words that they were putting their hope in the greatest one of all, Jesus. And, and I wanted to do that because today 
we're going to look at a chapter in the book of Hebrews where the author of Hebrews tells those Jewish converts to Christianity to do the exact same thing. So we're going to look at, at the sixth chapter and part of the seventh chapter where the author tells us that based on God's promises, we have an anchor of hope. So uh, let me just summarize a little bit about what the author is doing. Uh, he's telling the readers why they need to trust in God. And he's using the example of the promise that God made to Abraham. Now, this is important because, remember, he's writing to an audience who grew up in Judaism. And, and Abraham and Sarah, the, the matriarch and the patriarch of Judaism, they were the, the, the back to the beginning, very important people that everybody who grew up in Judaism would know. And so that's why he's focusing on the life of Abraham and Sarah and what was going on. And, and what he wants them to remember is that God made a promise to Abraham and Sarah that, that even though they had grown old and had not been able to have any children, that now God was going to keep this promise to them. And he was going to make them, it was mind-boggling, he was going to make them the mother and the father of, of nations, of, of literally thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And so he's recalling that promise when he says in verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. In other words, this hope is that God keeps his promise to them and to us. Dr. Michael Kruger writes this, that there are three strands of, of uh, three strands in the anchor rope of hope. And this is what he says they are. There's God's oath, there's God's character, and there's God's son. So let's talk a little bit about God's oath. So in verse 13, we read this about God's promise. It says, since there was no one greater to swear by, God made an oath in his own name. So God didn't need to make that oath because quite literally, he's God. He doesn't have to. But in verse 17, we find out why he did. It says this, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So you see, God made that promise. And he, and he made, it, made an oath of that promise because he wanted Abraham and Sarah to know it was insured. And he wanted every successive generation of believers to understand that they can be assured of God's promises, that, that they are the heir of the promise that God is going to work in their lives as he did with Abraham and Sarah. The Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Galatians that when we believe in Jesus, then we belong to Christ. And then he goes on and says this, we belong to Christ because we're actually spiritual children of Abraham and Sarah. We're, we're part of that spiritual lineage, which means God's promise to Abraham belongs to all who believe. So God keeps his oath. He keeps his promise. And he's so that's why we need to have hope. But it's, it's not just God's oath. It's also God's character. Let's look at, at God's character, which is 
related to his oath. You know, think about this. When a person makes a promise, if we know that person, we believe it. We believe it because we know the person. We've spent time with the person. We trust the person. We've, we've learned about their character. We've learned about the quality and the honesty and the reliability of them. And the same goes for God's character. We can trust him. We can rely on God. Verse 17 tells us that God showed us the unchangeable character of his purpose. Now that tells us that God's purpose doesn't change. And in the the very next verse, it tells us that it is impossible for God to lie. So God doesn't just make a promise and then break it. God's character is true. And so what he says, he means, and he will keep that promise. Now, the, uh, again, the, the author of Hebrews is looking back. He's looking back uh, to the story in Genesis chapter 22 when uh, Abraham and Sarah have finally had this promised child, this child named Isaac. And God then tells Abraham to do something that, that is unthinkable. He, he tells Abraham to take his son up onto a mountaintop and to sacrifice him. Now, uh, as I say that, I realize to some of us that may seem like God changed his mind about the promise that he made to Abraham and Sarah. But because God can be trusted, Abraham trusted God. And and I recognize that it's really hard to look at this story and and wrap our minds around it. I mean, it's, it's unthinkable, but Abraham trusted God and on the way up the mountain because at at this point in the life of Isaac, he was old enough to talk. He was old enough to have a conversation with his dad and as they're climbing up the mountain and Abraham's supposed to sacrifice Isaac, Isaac asked him, where's the sheep? Where's the lamb? And Abraham says basically that God will provide. Um, Now, if you wonder And I have. If you've ever wondered what was going on in Abraham's mind when he was doing this, we actually find out a little later in the book of Hebrews. So in chapter 11, it says this. It says, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. So if you wondered how in the world Abraham could follow through and go up the mountain to sacrifice his son, it was because he trusted God, that God would keep that promise to make them, make him a father of nations. So if you're struggling to have confidence in God's character and in his promise that that he's going to take you through a hard time, all you need to do is, is look at the testimony of Abraham and Sarah. Look at the testimony of Moses. Look at the testimony of God follower and Christ follower Time after time after time again in Scripture. You know, we see how God led the people of Israel. We see how God led the capital C church, the worldwide church. God doesn't lie. He keeps his promises. His his character is solid. And so we can have hope in him. So we can have hope in God's character. Uh, we, We can have also hope in God's son. The author of Hebrews has this one more reason why we should have hope, and and that hope becomes personified in Jesus, the Son of God. So let's look at verses 19 and 20. 
It says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. And then it says, and I'll come back to this last part, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, Look, we know that God keeps his promises because of what God has done for us. These verses here really get into the depths of Judaism and some understanding about what was going on and had gone on in the history of Judaism. And the reason we can have hope is because who Jesus is and that he fulfilled all of this. Now there's there's this uh, illusion, this idea of going behind the curtain. And so what's going on there? This, this is the curtain that was in the temple, that was in Jerusalem, and that curtain separated where people came into worship from the Holy of Holies. The, the Holy of Holies is the place where uh, the Ark of the Covenant resided, the Ten Commandments, and it was the place where the high priest would only go once a year, and uh, so the story goes that they would actually tie a rope onto the high priest's uh, leg in case something happened and they, they had to rescue the high priest. They wouldn't go in because they certainly thought they would face death. So they would actually have a means to pull the high priest out. But what, what this is saying is that Jesus now has gone behind the curtain and he has gone into the Holy of Holies because now he is our high priest and he is our forerunner on our behalf. That means he has made the way of access to God for us. That means that the work of Jesus paid the, paved the way for us so that we too can have access to God. We don't have to go behind the curtain of the into the holy of holies because Jesus has done that for us so this happened in order it happened in order to for us to see this now you may remember that there's a significant event that happens after the death of Jesus on the cross and you read about it in the gospel of Matthew in chapter 27 it says that the curtain of the temple split in half from top to bottom the imagery there is that because Jesus died to pay for the sins of humanity through his death, now we can have direct access to God. We don't have to go to the temple. There's no curtain that separates us from the presence of God. We can have intimate fellowship with him. So we, we see all of this demonstrating why we can have hope that that we have an anchor, not an anchor that leads to the bottom of the ocean, but an anchor that, that leads to heaven. And it gives us hope that we can be forever with God and in his presence. So we can trust his oath. We can trust his character. We can trust God because of his son. And these assurances are all eternal to us. They don't depend on us but are objectively real outside of us. So even if you have doubts, you can trust the truth that God is who he says he is and he will do what he has done in Jesus. Now there, there's one last phrase in that section from chapter six and I'll just remind you of it and then we're gonna get into it. So at the end of chapter 
6, it says that Jesus is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So who was Melchizedek? What's that all about? So uh, the author is trying to make a point. He's talking about the the great high priest and king who came to visit Abraham. But we're going to talk about who the greatest high priest and, and king is. So, but let me give you a little bit about Melchizedek. So when you read in the opening verses of chapter 7, it gives you a great deal of background about Melchizedek. He was uh, the, the king and the high priest of the, the uh, city of Salem, which was actually the forerunner of, of Jerusalem. And uh, Melchizedek has this kind of mythic character uh, quality about him because we don't know a lot about him. But the author tells us that he was both the king and the high priest of Salem. And that was very unusual because particularly when God established kings for Israel, he always kept the duty of the king separate from the duty of the priesthood. And that was important. In fact, we see that uh, that, that is, becomes an issue later on in the history of Israel. Now, one of the things that's interesting is that Melchizedek meets Abraham. And Abraham has recently been in a war and he actually gives a portion of the spoils of war to Melchizedek. It, it said he gives them a tithe, a tenth of everything that he had. Now, the reason for going into all of this detail about this sort of obscure figure is because, remember, this was a Jewish audience. They knew that they were the children of Abraham. They knew about the history of Abraham. They knew about Melchizedek. And so he wanted to make that connection with them, but he also wanted them to see that Jesus is the greatest high priest and king, greater than Melchizedek. So let's look at that. So let's look at why Jesus is greater. Well, first, as I just said, he's the high priest and king. So the, the purpose of priests for Israel were to op, offer sacrifices for the people for the payment of sins and to bring forgiveness to them. The purpose of the kings, which God did not want to initially do, appoint kings for Israel, but the, the purpose was so that the kings could rule over and provide protection for the people. And the way God set things up with Israel were that kings and priests were never the same person. And, and we see that issue sort of come to full light with the very first king that God anoints for Israel. It's King Saul. King Saul's getting ready to go into battle. And he's impatient. He, he's waiting for Samuel, the priest, to come and make a sacrifice and worship God before they go into battle. And he gets impatient. And he goes ahead and makes the sacrifice instead of waiting for Samuel. And God's anger is exhibited towards Saul. And he actually pulls his blessing back, his anointing back from Saul. And that's why Saul's kingship eventually fails and David becomes the next king. So, uh, another thing that we have to realize is that in the Old Testament, all of the priests of Israel were from the tribe of Levi. But the author of Hebrews points something out here that's unique about Jesus. So, let me read verses 13 through 16. 
He of whom these things were said belonged to a different tribe. He's talking about Jesus. And no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. They've never been a priest. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, the tribe of Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. One who has become a priest not on the basis of, a, of regulations as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. So, big picture. Jesus was historically, uh, his family lineage was from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi was the tribe of priests. The tribe of Judah was the tribe of kings. Uh, David was from the tribe of Judah. And Jesus is from the line of David. Jesus is greater than Melchizedek because he is from the tribe of Judah. So he is able to be from the line of kings but also become the high priest. Something that actually is prophesied by the prophet Zechariah. So think this through. As our king and as our high priest, Jesus can save us from our sin as a high priest, but he can protect us from evil as our king. So that's one of the reasons that Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. But we find even more. We find out that Jesus, his priesthood is permanent. So unlike human priests who served for a season, and then in that day they died, uh, Jesus' priesthood is permanent. Let's look at verses 21 and 24. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Jesus isn't going to retire He's not going to die. He's not going to say, you know what, I, I, I've had enough. Um, I, I'm just going to start doing something else, going to have my second career. He's not going to do that. And, and remember what we said about God making oaths or promises. God makes a promise here in Scripture that Jesus will be the priest forever. And he keeps those promises. So think that through. Jesus is our permanent priest. In an earlier verse about the Levitical priesthood, the, the tribe of Levi, the author points out that it was an, an imperfect priesthood based on the Old Testament law, which itself was imperfect. But then the author says, but now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. So this carries the idea that we have this hope in Jesus who is our high priest forever, who has replaced the sacrificial system of the Old Testament law once and for all. So this means that Jesus is, as our high priest, is greater than those Jewish people would have thought about the king and priest Melchizedek. And then the author of Hebrews goes on and says that Jesus is greater because he intercedes forever for his people. In other words, for us. Verse 25 says this. 
Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Now, most people in the ancient world of Israel may not have even put two and two together regarding the problem presented by the, the priestly system and the, and the fact that that priest eventually would die. So if, if the person was relying on the priest to intercede from them and they die, that means the effectiveness of the intercession, the prayers for them, would be uncertain. So how could they have eternal security without a, a priest who was eternal? And that's what they received in Jesus. The Apostle Paul reminds us in the letter to the Romans that Jesus is at the right hand of God, it says, continually interceding for us. You and I, we have a priest. Every single follower of Jesus has the high priest Jesus interceding on our behalf to God. Think about that. He's praying for you. You may not even realize it. When you're going through a difficult time, a hard time, Jesus is interceding for you. He, he is there. Again, this makes him greater than Melchizedek. And finally, though, this. The reason Jesus is greater than Melchizedek, and remember, this is really important for the, for the people who had come out of Judaism to hear this, but it's also important for us. The reason he's greater than Melchizedek is because he is perfect. Again, let me read from the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. Such a high priest truly meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, and set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. So, so think that through. Jesus is not a sinful human being. Yes, he lived a sinless human life when he came to earth, but now he's the divine son of God. And remember, when he was on the earth living in a human life, he was tempted like we are tempted, but he didn't sin. So he's not stained or tarnished by sin. And Jesus has never had to have a priest offer sacrifices to pay for his sin. And the Levitical priests the, the, had to. When they offered sacrifices for the sins of the people, they were also offering those same sacrifices for their own sinfulness. But Jesus doesn't have to do that because he is our perfect, sinless priest who, who did something for us that would be unthinkable. And the scriptures tell us that. He became the final, the ultimate sacrifice to pay for the sins of humanity, for yours, for mine, for all people, by giving up his life and dying on the cross. In, in this way, Jesus is the perfect fulfillment. You know, before this, there were all of these animal sacrifices, but, you know, a, a priest would choose an animal as a sacrifice. And if you go back and you read the Old Testament, it would have to be a perfect animal, an animal without blemish, because it had to be one that was pure, uh, 
an, um, an impure animal couldn't pay the price for people who were guilty of sin. Only one who was pure and innocent. Well, Jesus became our spotless, our sinless, our pure Lamb of God that was sacrificed for us. And so, in all of these areas, what the author of Hebrews is telling the recipients of the letter then, but he's telling us now, is that, that Jesus is greater than Melchizedek, the high priest and king of Salem. He, he's greater because he keeps the promises that God has made to Abraham and to his offspring, to us, that he's perfect, that he's sinless, and that he intercedes for us constantly. Something that Melchizedek could never do because he was a human. So when we take all of this in, we, we realize that, that God has done something amazing for us and ask us to recognize that Jesus is everything we need and we need to lean in by faith and let him intercede for us to pour out our hearts to him, lean on him as our king who will guide us and our high priest who will help us deal with our sinfulness. Now, as I bring this message to a close, we're going to move into a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper. And I think this is so powerful because, you know, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when we eat the bread and we take the cup, it reminds us of the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And so I'm going to encourage you, if you're here in the, in the room, if you didn't get a uh, part of the bread and the cup, just raise your hand and the ushers will bring them to you. We got somebody over here, so uh, if you could uh, do that, raise your hand high and they'll bring them to you. If you're at home, we want to encourage you to, to get some bread and some juice so you can celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. Because this is a powerful, tangible picture of what Jesus has done on our behalf. How he has sacrificed himself as the ultimate sacrifice and become our high priest and our king. So let me just uh, prepare us for celebrating the Lord's Supper because scripture tells us that we're supposed to prepare. And the way we prepare is we come before God in prayer and we ask for forgiveness of our sins. We ask God to, to bring to mind anything that we need uh, to confess and then we ask him for forgiveness. But I will say this to everyone here, whether you're online or in person, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never said, Jesus, I believe in you and want to follow you, you shouldn't take the elements, the bread and the juice. But if you're at that place where you want to believe in Jesus and let him know, I'm going to lead you in a prayer to give you some words that you can pray silently to him. And, and then I'm going to lead us all in a prayer of silent confession. And that's your time to confess your sins to God. So if you would, bow your heads and let's pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.